Ideas have consequences, and consequences have ideas. If we don't learn how to think carefully, we will never be able to live rightly. So welcome to Think Through It, a podcast for conversation among friends encouraging one another to think through it. All right, well, welcome to a very important edition of Think Through It. Uh, We're having a conversation today that I wish we didn't have to have. (laughs) You know, this is like most of the Think Through It, so I'm like, this is interesting. This is fun to talk about. Um, I think that today's episode is incredibly important, but um, it's sad that we're having to have this conversation and we're really responding to what is a cultural epidemic. Uh, and, you know, we were just talking for men and women uh, in today's society. Uh, the, the title of the episode is, is really how to talk to your kids about pornography. Um, I want to get to that particular question. Like, how do you talk to your kids about pornography? Um, but before we get there, I just want to start with pornography and the, as I, the word I used, epidemic uh, that it is in our culture. I mean, it is really widespread. And I, I speak as a man that just, and this is like one of the sweetest graces of my life because I have so many friends that have been so negatively affected by pornography. The sweetest grace of my life that has never, and again, I give my parents a lot of credit for this because my dad, when I was a little boy, warned me about pornography. Uh, I come to you today as a guy that's never really had a you know, big issue with pornography. Praise the Lord. Many other <laughs> sin issues in my life. But I'm so grateful that that is not one of them. Um, and again, I, I give, you know, thanks to the Lord, the grace of God, but really a lot of a lot of thanks, giving, and just gratitude to my parents and my dad in particular, who warned me about these things before I really was ready. I mean, I remember my dad talking to me about pornography and masturbation when I almost was like too young to hear it. Mm -hmm. It was almost a little stunning, like, "Eh, I don't really want to have this conversation. You know, this is a little odd to be talking about. Can we we talk about, I I think I remember I said at the end of it, can we talk about something else now? Like, you know, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd prefer because, but actually I give him like, there was so much almost like shock value. And it's just like, it, it almost, if he, if his goal was, I'm going to warn this kid that this is a dangerous thing. Um, you know, Paige and I were just overseas and have you ever like gone to a duty free store in an overseas airport and you see the cigarette boxes? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Like, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, Jennifer, I know you're I mean, always I've buying seen it, cigarette but I'm boxes like, overseas. The no. danger. So, but, <laughs> warnings but on them. If you know what I'm talking about, like the warnings for cigarette boxes in these overseas countries, it, it'll have like a guy that's like dying, you know, on there, or it'll have like a lung that has been totally corroded. I mean, it'll, and it's these gross images that you just don't want to look at. Right. And so that was almost the experience. It was almost like my dad told me it, at an age when like I could properly be warned and it was like, I don't, I don't want to go near that stuff. And then when pornography did present itself in my life and I was just sharing this story with you guys, I was a seventh grader. I was over at a friend's house. This is back in the day when people looked at pornography on like printed paper magazines, you know, Mm -hmm. not, it was really before the digital revolution. Um, and, you know, as much as I was maybe intrigued by what was happening, you know, my buddy pulled out some Playboy magazines. Um, I 
there was such this like warning bell that my dad had put in my head of like, this is dangerous. This is harmful. This will kill you that I immediately left the house and went to my house and told my dad, you know, Mm -hmm. what had happened. And my dad, of course, was like super cool about it. And, you know, I didn't get in trouble or anything. You know, he just was like, look, I'm so glad he he affirmed me. And so anyway, the point that I'm trying to say here is that's where we want to (laughs) go. I want to get there. And I am like, I, and I just praise God, like I, for 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 all of that in my life. I had a parent that talked to me about this, and so it saved me from this. But so so many of my friends, when I say so many of my friends, basically every one of my friends, uh, this has been uh, a thorn for them, mm-hmm. and it, it may have been a varying degree for some of them, a little bit of a thorn for them, a really big thorn. Um, that they wish they never had stuck in their side. So I, I want to kind of begin there, like how ubiquitous this is. I mean, Zach, you were sharing some statistics, how ubiquitous this is and really how dangerous this is. Um, and so I'm joined today by two of my favorite folks, two really great thinkers um, on so many topics, but I think will really be helpful for us in this. Jennifer McClish, who of course is our women's ministry director at Christ Covenant and Zach Smith, who leads our student ministry. So yeah, what are some of those statistics? I mean, I was kind of shocked to hear what you were just saying. Right. It, it is shocking. I mean, we know that it's an issue, but I don't think we realize how big of an issue and how prevailing it is. So um, I was just looking around at some statistics and uh, I was shocked to find that 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. That wasn't too shocking, but um, there, there are a couple other things that are, that are really shocking. So one is pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Hmm. So I know that we're talking about children. I know that we're, we're talking about... But uh, where this leads. But where right. the, this has an effect that reverberates across the span of their life and affects children that are yet to be born. I mean, in families, potentially in broken families. And so it's very important that we get this right and that we, we figure out some faithful ways to approach this. So um, with that in mind, 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography. Well, I've, I've got an 11-year-old daughter. I mean, you've got an 11-year-old son. Right. Exactly. In some, and, in some places I've seen even say they think it could be eight, actually, is becoming the more um, early, you know, the earlier mm-hmm. age that people are seeing it. Right. But... It's and just, so, it will happen, yeah. Yeah, the innocence is, um, it's in the targets of... And so uh, how is that happening? I mean, yeah, that that is like, I mean, I hear that and, uh, and, and obviously I'm, I mean, think through it, largely Christian audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't think there's a lot of people listening to this that, you know, uh, think that porn is okay. But I mean, and so probably most of the people listening to this, you know, are either single people or maybe married or maybe parents that, you know, they, they see porn as an issue. Uh, you know, in my house, like there's no playboy. My, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no, so, so how is it happening? How, how is this exposure of the, the kids stumbling upon it? Mm-hmm. Is there a targeted effort? I mean, like what, what, what is creating that? Is it their friend's houses? I mean, like where, where is this happening? How is this happening? Sure. I, I, I think it's an industry that is um, that's motivated by power and motivated by greed, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's a whole industry that is looking and seeking users mm-hmm. that will be lifelong users. And so, um, you know, with like you were saying, uh, we're no longer just in the printed age, but we're in the digital age where everyone, it seems, has a screen and has access to everything in the world. 
And there are predators that are out there that are looking for users. And so uh, what has happened is uh, people who have designed and who have uh, set basic, um, I would say, algorithms to target certain users that, um, that are using the Internet. And so you have, uh, uh, I mean, many of us have seen um, the, there's a Netflix special that was on there called The Social Dilemma. And in that, you see all of these app developers, they have found a way to hack the human creature. You know, they found ways to target what, what it is that um, seduces us into their app and keeps right. us there longer than we want to be, be there. Yeah. yeah. And they monetize that. Right. And so what I believe is, has happened is our children are the most vulnerable and often uh, is the case. They have a device in their hands and uh, unwittingly they stumble upon some images that, mm-hmm. um, that would uh, be something that hooks them in to curiosity and then moves them from one link to another link. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there they are right. the looking in- at something that totally should, should not be seen mm-hmm. and they don't know how to deal with it, but right. it, it, their, their minds are just uh, inundated with dopamine and they get this rush and um, it's, we have to prepare them for that moment. Right. Like you said, a lot of it is accidental. Like they're being advertised to that. The initial ad doesn't look like porn. They click on that. That takes them to the next, you know, to the thing that they don't want to see or shouldn't see. So it's accidental. It's curiosity. But it's also then you have a a statistic. I mean, and it happens on they're They're just having devices that are not necessarily parental controlled, like the devices they're getting from school. And you're trusting like school systems to, um, you know, have the safeguards on them, but they are not foolproof. Mm-hmm. No fence really is foolproof. And right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what, um, you know, we, we can't put up a fence, you know, that's farther enough, far, far enough out to keep these innovators for, from targeting, you know, audiences and, uh, no, no fence really is foolproof. So, well, and, and, and I think, like, this is why the particular conversation, how do you talk to your kids about porn? I mean, um, you know, I, we deal with people all the time. I, I deal with people all the time that have gotten themselves into this addiction. And, you know, they, they, they it is a fight, fight, fight to get out. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, if, if, if you're listening to this and this is true of you, I just want to invite you, like, do whatever you have to do to fight this fight, um, talk to your elder, call me. I mean, talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a female dealing with this, talk to Jennifer, talk to um, talk to someone. And then, you know, our counseling center is equipped to really help people fight this also. And so yes. we, we have some great resources. And there's some other, you know, there's some other resources that we can point you to that can really help you in this fight. And so I would just say to the person that's like, okay, I wish my parents would have had this conversation with me when I was 10 years old or whatever, but they didn't. Now I'm in it, you know, fight it with all you've got. But let's go back. I I do kind of want to go back to that. Like, so let's talk about that. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, when do you start talking to your kids? I mean, what is the, and and you, you use the word before we went on Jennifer that I think is a good one. Fearless. Like, yeah, I think this is a fearful thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like, do I, do I really sit down with my eight year old and explain pornography to them? Like, you know, do what, what am I supposed to do here? And I do think a lot of homes struggle with this. I mean, as I said, I, I think I came up in a, um, 
you know, and I, I mean, so celebrate, so grateful for the home I grew up in. You know, my dad, I think, just, I mean, dealt with this to the point I was talking earlier about the <laughs> cigarettes. Like, he right. dealt with it early on, and it created this warning bell in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, Zach, you were saying it was not talked about mm-hmm. in your home. No. I mean, was right. it? I mean. No. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about it, but also it wasn't as, you know, much of an it issue. It was a different for, world. And but, it wasn't as much of an issue for girls. That was not our temptation uh, when I was young. Do you, you know, think, like think, well, you have a brother? Oh, I have brothers. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. think that was talked about with them? Or uh, no, I do not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think, well, and I grew up very much in a, probably a more purity culture where everything was about uh, shame and, you know, that was a whole different way. Like just even the way they talked about sex, but, um, which is an interesting concept. You know, when you start thinking about how we talk to kids about porn, I mean, how you talk to them about sex in general is important, but I think like to, but to keep on track and to answer your question, you really need to start talking to your kids even before, before you're ready, before they're ready. And I think one of the um, issues, like, especially as a mom, I remember thinking, Oh, I don't want to like, they're so innocent and I don't want to introduce this. You don't want to be the one that tarnishes them. Right. Heinous. Like I'm corrupting them. But one of the things is like you can help them um, identify the danger and get a strategy for responding to it without talking to them about all the the gritty detail of porn. Yes. You just warn them about dangers, and it's like you're you're holding it's two it's twofold. One, you're holding up the better picture, like you are fearless and. Um, full of faith and belief in God's good design for sex and for humanity and the nobility of people and how we honor them and treat them. And, you know, you're, you're imaging God to your children and um, presenting that Imago day and just what we were actually created for. But then you're also pointing out that there's sin in the world and that people have corrupted this and they've made it terrible. And so here's some ways that you can identify danger. So when they're really young, I mean, we'll probably get into more how they do this, but like, you're not going to talk about the sex part, but you're going to tell them that there are like good pictures and bad pictures that they're private. You know, we already talked about it's good touching. Yes. Good touching, bad touching. touching. There's like, you know, whatever is covered by your um, bathing suit is private and what that means and um, you know, how we care for our bodies. And so there's a lot that prepares them to identify, you know, something that's dangerous. And, and, And to the like, you know, the purity of your children's minds kind of thing. I mean, I do feel like the Lord in his like creative way, you know, I mean, if you're talking about these things in love and with protection in mind, like, you know, their, their little imaginations, like, you know, are, are only capable of so much like, you know, perversion. Right. And so like all, all of, all of my kids, like I have talked to them about pornography and even Rainer, who is six. Um, now I haven't talked like in detail or like how people look at pornography or what it is, but he knows that, that some people out there look at pictures of, you know, women or men that aren't their wife or husband and that, you know, it's bad and it's detrimental and it can ruin their marriage and it can ruin their mind. And, it can it can lead them to like get divorced. I mean, he knows that there's there there's this thing out there, and there's a really bad result of it. And and again, I, I can't remember exactly the conversation that my dad had with me, but like I do know that there was enough in there that when the occasion happened, mm-hmm. there was a warning bell. You recognize it, right? Yeah, there was like a, yeah. an alarm that started going off in my head. Like I got to get out of here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we also 
I mean, you can talk about bodies and what's, a, you know, appropriate to see and what's not, like in terms of like the bathing suit is a good, you know, way to say whatever's covered by the baby's bathing suit you shouldn't see in a picture. But there's also like if you ever see anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or you think is weird. I mean, kids, some they know inside like what's, you know, scary. And the thing is like when a child sees porn, they're going to be aroused in a way that they're not familiar with. They're overwhelmed by that feeling. Yeah. It's immediately accompanied with shame and kind of a, a fearfulness. And yet it's the kind of thing that also it's like it feels good, but it's bad. I mean, you can give your child that category anytime. Like if you see something that, you know, feels bad, um, sees makes you feel weird, whatever, it's like, what do you do? You immediately come to me. I will help you. I will tell you exactly what it is. I'll tell you the truth. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'll help you with what to do. I've heard it said that whoever speaks on this issue to our children becomes an authority to them. Yeah. Mm. And so, you know, for any parents out there that may think um, that I'm just going to wait until something happens and then I'm going to respond to it because that'll be the appropriate time because they're initiating it. Mm. Um, I, I would warn you against that. I would encourage you instead to have that conversation earlier than you're comfortable with because as you break into that that topic and that subject you are the authority that's that's pushing forward into that and you're you're providing um as you were saying jennifer you know a beautiful picture of our bodies and they belong to the lord and that you know that sex is a beautiful thing well and one of the things that I so appreciate Ben, I hate hate to keep bringing up my dad here but I just (laughs) think he was a good model you were just talking about like how in middle school and I like certainly remember this, you know, you're in the locker room and I don't know if like, I don't, I'm guessing Jennifer's locker rooms, the the chatter was different, but like, (laughs) but like, you know, you're, you're in the wrestling locker room. I'm in the baseball football locker room or whatever. And, and like, um, and guys are basically boasting about, you know, masturbating and, you know, about the pornography they are looking at Mm -hmm. and how many times they, masturbated today or how quickly they did or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. you know, that chatter is going on. Well, Mm -hmm. if you're like, and I'm assuming like a good, innocent Christian kid that like a lot of, you know, our kids Mm -hmm. are to your point, if your parents have never talked to you about that, um, then to your point about authority, like it's going to be like, well, should I be doing that? Like, is that normative? And is that like something that, you know, I should be doing and 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 so all of a sudden like you you're you're allowing for uh, an eighth grade boy a 14 year old to like educate your kid on sex and and what's normative um and and again back to my dad like I was so grateful like he had already before I ever heard any of that in a locker room or whatever he had said guys are going to talk about masturbation Mm. and this is, and I didn't even know what that was. And he's like, this is what they're talking Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just so grateful for that because I wasn't this like curious kid that didn't know I knew, but it had already been framed in my mind as like, and this does not please God, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, and I, I mean, all of, obviously all of this is rooted in, I mean, I think we need to be clear to say like, your goal in Christian parenting is actually not the sexual purity of your child. Your, your goal in Christian parenting is that they would know God through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if they know God through Jesus, there'll be a purity of heart that will lead them to purity of body and purity of mind and purity mm-hmm. of soul. And so, you know, I, 
I do think my that's the way my parents raised me to love the Lord. And, and, and so, you know, there was a desire to please the Lord um, as immature, small as it may have been for a sixth grade Jason D's. But it, there was enough of that. And my dad framed this as like, okay, what these guys are talking about is not pleasing to God. I need to get away from this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, let's, I, w- I want to talk about more about like culture in the home. Like, like, yeah. how did y'all talk about these kinds of things at the McClish house? <laughs> yeah. Well, did y'all I both talk about, I mean, that's the thing. Oh you yeah. Have well, son, yes. you have, you have son, no, you that's have daughter. A good, that's yeah, a good yeah. point. Cause I hear a lot of parents say, you know, I let the dads talk to my sons and I talk to my daughter and whatever. And, um, and of course, like, a lot of conversations were had that way, but I also just very, I talked about sex with my sons. Um, and I felt like that was really important because again, well, you know, the moms, uh, we are with them, I think maybe sometimes more times during the day, see them during school, after school, I don't know. But, um, but also I wanted them to know that I, um, that sex is good and that it's designed by God. And again, that there was that I wasn't afraid to share the truth with them, um, that I was somebody that they could trust, um, that they could you know get the truth, and that I, like you said, I guess establishing authority in it, and the same thing with Matt and Madeline. There was just a very we just tried to create trust in the home, and we didn't always do this well because I do think one of that one way of also doing that is to not be. Um, so focused on behavior over the heart, like you were talking about. I mean, we definitely had our growth in that. And then being critical or um, condemning, you know, like I remember just growing myself and thinking, okay, this is not how I should be with my children. I need to like um, encourage confession and I need to be a safe place for them to do that to, um, And then when they're discovered in any kind of sin or bad behavior that I have a reasonable response, not like this kind of like, outsized like and then why why would you do that you know these kind of questions that we ask our kids that don't make any sense like i know why why is obvious it's like you're a sinner and i know your heart and i know better than you do why you're doing this so um but that all goes into play um when you're talking about these having these conversations with about sex and um and porn and dangers you want them to be able to trust you and have a lot of respect i think that's another thing i did you know, a lot of this is like porn is so contrary to the Imago Day and it's just so disrespectful so and disrespectful. so dishonoring and just just such a perversion of God's idea for um, humanity. But I think like respect, not objectifying other people, like how we talk about, um, you know, the boys and girls in class or um, how I processing how other kids talked about um, other kids and then always just reminding them that like, you know, girls really aren't hot. (laughs) That shouldn't be the, um, the way we talk about a, uh, a girl in particular or a boy, because that is saying that they're, you know, sexually attractive. I mean, that's just coming out of a pornified culture yeah. really, mm-hmm. but beauty and it's attractiveness. Like yeah. they, they do something for me. They turn me on. It's like, so exactly. It's all I could, about you. Yeah. Yes. They're, you're basically using them and it just is actually, it's, it's like a way of talking about people like more in the category of lust and just like reminding, like we can recognize people who are attractive and beautiful. And we think, wow, God is, you know, so <laughs> gracious and kind and yeah. he makes people beautiful and there's beauty in all, you know, in all kinds of people. Um, and we can appreciate that 
you know, God's creation in that and appreciate that and delight in other people for their gifts and the way they look, not mm-hmm. objectify them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like the way you're saying that because in a sense, you're not suggesting that we like reject natural impulses that kids have. Like, Kids no, are going to be attracted to one to, another. Yes, like exactly. that's like actually something that the Lord has designed mm-hmm. and that's actually a good thing. And so it's not, it's not saying that's bad. It's, it's, it's refining that it's, cur- it's directing that in a God word way. Okay. You know, it's like, it's like the CS Lewis, like every desire has its right fulfillment. Right. And so right. like, okay, you have a desire, but like, what is the God honoring fulfillment of that desire? Um, and how, and how should that rightly be exercised or manifest? I mean, like I remember in middle school, especially, you know, when there was a lot of dating, um, you know, the first kind of dating that just pointing out, having conversations with my kids about who was, you know, um, dating who and, but how they were kind of moving from one person to another. And that it seemed like it was more about them, like how they felt about themselves um, based on, you know, how attractive or how cool the person was that they were with. And then when they decided, oh, someone else is cooler and will make me yeah, look better, yeah. they just move on. And pointing out to them that that is objectifying people. That's mm-hmm. not the kind of dating or relationships that God has designed, even though, again, like you said, this is this is natural and beautiful, but not in that way. But that actually is helping them to not, you know, to live in a pornified culture. Yeah, you were talking about how much impact like the child's mind like you know this pornified culture that we're talking about here in the development stages that our kids are in how this can impact their even the way they think and really how important this is to get ahead of I mean can yeah. you share some of that just oh yeah the dangers like there are there are greater physical dangers to children um, with pornography viewing than even adults and that is because they um you know, their prefrontal lobe, uh, the cortex or what a prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until we're like 25. And so that's that part of that of your brain that says, you know, this isn't a good idea um, that allows you to like yeah. learn from past experience to understand ma- morals and values and all that kind of thing is com- very undeveloped in children. And so they're, um, you know, that makes them more like susceptible to this it kind of destroys their their willpower i guess i should say like it gets a hold it's designed to be addictive so it gets a hold of you anyway but children don't have the ability to fight it the way an adult does just even from a brain development standpoint and then the other big thing that you mentioned even earlier is their dopamine sensitivity is much higher so you know this is why you go like you know you love a roller coaster if a roller coaster is fun to you it's like super intense and fun for a kid. Like yeah. anything fun that I'm we do. I'm to the do. point in life where it's not <laughs> It's not fun, fun anymore. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember I it being fun. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, all, <laughs> but this is why kids, you know, how they can do the same thing over and over and over right, again. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't tire. Um, that's But that's brain development. But you can see where that coupled with a highly addictive substance is going to just be so much, even that much harder for them yeah. to overcome um, even in adulthood. So... It's also very isolating for children because, again, they don't have the categories for what they're seeing and experiencing. And so that whole, like, it feels good, but it's bad if you haven't prepared them and assured them that, like, you are the safe person to come, you know, tell when they see this kind of thing. um, They they get very isolated. Mm -hmm. 
and, you know, it becomes even more hidden or whatever. They just have fewer resources to deal with it. I just think it's really important that we're cultivating uh, an atmosphere of trust in when it comes to the relationship that we have with our children. You know, when they do something wrong, you know, are we parenting them and responding in a way that that causes them to hide and run away? Mm -hmm. Or are we cultivating a relationship that is drawing them in and saying, look, when you get in a bind, when you find yourself in this place, I want to be the first person that you run to. And right. I, I remember you saying, Jason, that, you know, uh, at that first uh, opportunity, you you turned and you kind of ran away and you went home and you told your dad. Yeah. And that's exactly the process, the, the kind of process that we want to put in place for our kids when they're when they're younger, you know, is that when they see something right. that makes them uncomfortable, that they know is a is a bad picture or is a bad image that they, they turn from whatever it is and they run away from the situation and they find a trusted adult and they just simply just vocalize what's going on. And it's just really important to make sure that we're not doling out consequences for this, um, you know, type of, of behavior initially. I mean, later on, it, you know, as kids develop, there are some different things that we need to put in place. And, and you know, we could talk about that if, if you guys think it would be helpful. But um, I think... And establishing trust in the relationship is mm-hmm. absolutely key. Yeah, absolutely. Because there is this natural adult, like kind of skepticism in kids that like we had toward our parents and our kids have toward us. And so you, you almost have to be, you know, we were saying fearless and faithful. You almost have to be like yeah. extra faithful to like keep entering into those conversations with your kids. Um, you know, uh, my boys, I mean, not to like use a like derogatory slang or whatever, but like, this is like one of those things that's been one of those moments. Like, so, you know, there's like a slang proverbial like phrase, like D's nuts, you know, you know, mm-hmm. and so like, um, you know, obviously like I've heard that since I was like in sixth grade, you know, mm-hmm. but my boys now they're fourth or third and first grade, like, you know, you know, kids are kind of saying that to them. And, and, and John Keller somebody like told me about it. And and he was like, you've heard this before. Like you, you know, this is like, you understand this. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah. Like, I was like, you know, I mean, we had the same thing. Like, and so it, it was like all of a sudden I could just tell he was like, Oh, like you were once a third grade. Like it, it was mm-hmm. like it was like the the myth of like I've always been an adult, which I remember mm-hmm. being a kid and thinking like <laughs> my parents have always been adults. Right, like, right. You know, you, it's hard to imagine your kids as kid or your parents as kids, and so yeah, helping them re- like that's that going back to that trust, yes. like continuing. And I think to your point, you said earlier, Zach, faithfulness in this. Like mm-hmm. I think you have to keep doing that. You have to keep entering into that. Like yes, trust. Yeah. I mean, tr- trust is one of those things that takes. Consistency. You just have to yeah. keep building it. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, well, I was just going <laughs> to mention in in this conversation, it's important that you don't put so much pressure on one conversation. Right. That's but, the thing. You know, yeah. I mean, that is such a good you, word. Yeah. We've you, had uh, the sex talk. Yeah. yeah like, exactly. We did it. Check. Well, right. Well, Thank God. Over. That's over. I know. Uh, yeah. And you know, it's it, it's discipleship, really. It is. It's yeah. discipleship along the way. It's taking yes. the moments, you know, along the way. And it doesn't have to be um, a sit down, you know, eyeball to eyeball kind of squaring off or, mm-hmm. you know, type of conversation. It could be mm-hmm. as you're going down the road, you know, and right. you're just, you're talking and 
there doesn't have to be an occasion to to bring something like this up. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it could just be woven into the yes. fabric of your family. Yeah. And it's something that you you talk about because not you don't uh, like you were mentioning earlier. Um, sometimes within Christianity, uh, I kind of came to faith a little bit later. I was twenty years old, but there was this idea of you know the purity culture and shaming sex. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I think it's it's important when it's appropriate developmentally that you you do talk about the goodness yes. of it uh, within God's creation. I mean, absolutely, marriage is a picture of the gospel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sex in that union within it, it brings life. And, you know, the, the relationship of Christ and the church, it brings disciples. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so um, it, it's important to make sure that um, we have these conversations that hold up the beauty and hold up the goodness of it because uh, it, it's such a powerful gift. It's such a good gift. It's right. such a life-giving gift. And uh, we just don't want the world to to drive that conversation, and we don't want it to corner us into yeah. a hole where we're we're just playing defense and, right. so, and, and yeah. being full of fear. And uh, so I, I just say that word to have a continual conversation and openness in the conversation, and uh, that yeah, will I was definitely cultivate. Say that. I also love that. Just building on that, that. Um, we, these don't all have to be negative conversations. I mean, you definitely have to equip kids with the dangers, but you're actually preparing them by having, talking about, you know, sex and marriage, like you just said, when they're really little, you can talk about, um, you know, that their bodies belong to God, that God designed their bodies with a tell us, you know, that everything has a purpose, like mm-hmm. your eyes, what are your eyes for? Your eyes are for seeing, um, your ears are for hearing. Every part of you has a purpose and that we are made to worship God and, um, to bring glory to him, enjoy him forever, all of those things. Mm-hmm. But that actually, yeah. So your sexual you, organs aren't bad. No, no good. exactly. Appetite is good. Yeah. Your hunger has an end. Right. Right. And our bodies are made to worship God. Um, that can be an example, and that they're created to do good, That's good. and to serve others. Well, these are categories that are very important to establish when your children are small, so that then when you are having the sex talk, it just all dovetails in yeah. <laughs> perfectly, you know. Well, and and yeah, so I mean, there is a prudishness in Christianity that is actually anti-biblical, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And then secondly, the thing I was going to say about like the fabric of your family, I mean, you use that language. But like, it, it, there's part of that that's like recognizing patterns in your family members, and so, like Emory Ann, I'll just give you use her as an example. Like Emory is kind of a night owl, mm-hmm. you know. She kind of comes alive like at night, and so she wants to have these conversations at like to me what is like the worst time. Like <laughs> we're tucking her in, you right. know. It's nine o'clock. I just want to go hang out with Paige or maybe I just want to go to bed. I'm getting to be an old man, you know? And so, but she like wants to talk. Right. And so like for me as a dad, I can't be like, well, let's talk about it tomorrow because she may not want to talk about it tomorrow. Like Mm -hmm. when she is really open to talk about like the deep things and when her heart is like the most soft really Mm -hmm. is like for whatever reason, like after nine o'clock at night. And so, and so me is like going on the way, this is kind of your thing. Like going on the way is like to some degree recognizing that like, it's like not just your way. I mean, <laughs> how I would want to have these conversations is like this, but how mm-hmm. I have to have these conversations That's so true. or like with the boys, you know, I, uh, um, for whatever reason, like in the car on the way to and from practice. And, you know, I, I was bummed that 
the old like the closest football league is way up at Chastain, which is only like twenty minutes. It's not that far, but like everything else in my life is like five minutes. And I was like, ah, I've got to drive all this way. But like that twenty minutes going to and from three times a week for football practice with both boys this fall was like, I, I would. There is like nothing that I have that I would trade that for. Like yeah. th- that that time with him because for whatever reason, like they just like would open up. And so this is what you're talking about and Mm -hmm. finding those little grooves Mm -hmm. when, okay, my kids are actually open to talk to me about something deep and and every kid's different. You know, I mean, the boys don't want to talk at night. They're ready to go to bed or they want to wrestle. They don't want to talk. Um, but Amrianna, that's when she's just like all talky, you know? Yeah. That's good. That's a really good word. Okay. So I'm so guilty of, of not recognizing those moments, you know, and, and just saying, um, we need to just shut this down and go to bed so that <laughs> yeah. we can transition. Yeah. To the it's next easy. Thing, yeah. No. yeah, that's that's a. I'm already getting tired I'm, about the day. I'm starting to you know, say, yeah, I know. like, yeah, I need to drink a cup of coffee before I go home. I, I mean, but truth is, I mean, that is our most important work. Yeah, is when we uh, yeah we take off. You know, it's our, so sweet though. It, and, and yeah, home. exactly, and it produces so much fruit because I know, like, my youngest is like that, and he comes home from college, and he'll come in my room at midnight and sit there and start talking and i'm like i am really dead now but yeah again wouldn't trade it for the world but that's right we've been doing that yeah forever I okay so i want to get to brass tacks here guys yeah. we've we've had these sweet moments with our children at night but now <laughs> like how do you have this conversation like how do you talk to your kids uh be i i'd love for y'all to be really practical like how have you um what tools have you used um, you know, really help us understand, like, okay, yes, I realize it's important. I realize it's dangerous, but like, how do you do it? Yeah. Um, I'd say, well, when they're very young, again, with, uh, if anything makes you feel uncomfortable, if you see a picture, um, that shows anything, you know, other than that, that is covered by a bathing suit, um, then you immediately say, I don't, you know, I don't look at that and you look away if you're with someone else or you, if you're on the computer, you click out of it and you immediately tell mom and dad. So those are just very, and I think with kids also, we, um, you practice the, uh, the conversations, um, you almost role play it. You know, you mm-hmm. come up, I mean, I know I did this with my kids even where it's like, we're going into a new situation. You're going to meet these people. They're going to say this, this is what you do. I mean, anytime you like equip your children before a situation with a script, a plan, a strategy, then you are, you know, this, that's really good. Yeah, and in the embodiment of the role playing. Exactly. It helps make it. Um, right. It goes, horrible. yeah, that's, um, so that's really young children, I guess. Um, Sure. Well, I mean, yeah. you're you're yeah. you're the student There's pastor, a, right? Right. Student right. Pastor, yeah. Well, and I should add on to that with the really young children. There is a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures mm-hmm. that has for very young children and then young elementary, um, which is very helpful. And then there's another book called God Made All of Me, mm-hmm. um, which is is really good too. Yeah. Okay. So just kind of pulling back from resources, I think that it's it's important that that you have the conversation with your, with your kids about this topic. Um, and, and that you present, you know, I, I, uh, thinking in some ways, there were a couple of categories. Um, in in some ways people think that they engineer their kids faith. They think they engineer their kids righteousness. Uh And so they really, um, are after behavior modification. They think if I do all the right things and I say the right things and I use the right resources, that equals right. my kid will be right. a faithful follower of Christ and glorify him and enjoy him forever. 
And it just does not work that way. We live in a really messy world. And um, so my, my approach is maybe a little more like jazz than classical music um, <laughs> because I, I have had, I try, I try to have, I've had conversations with all of my children. I have four children. I have a 16-year-old son, a 14-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old son, and I have an 8-year-old daughter. And I, I actually have had the conversation with each of them. Um, my wife, Sarah, also has, has spoken to them about this, particularly with the girls. Um, but I, there have been times where I've used books to, to talk to them. But I think the, the most important thing is to talk to them and form in their mind what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be an image bearer. You know, God has given us such a gift with that. He has given us not only a gift, but responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so there are ways that we treat other people, ways that we view other people and that type of thing. And so my, my conversations, um, I've taken my, my son, um, just him and I, my oldest son, I remember we went to a lake we went and we we started a fire. We skipped mm-hmm. some rocks. I mean, it was kind of like I want to have this moment. You yeah, know? yeah. And um, at the time, I was I was really uh, younger, and I was thinking this is kind of like the one and done conversation, kind right. of in my mind. Right. Um, so with him, it was it was a little more formal, and um, you know, I, I read to him out of Genesis one uh, twenty six and twenty seven. Mm. We talked about God created uh, male and female in His own image. We talked about Genesis chapter two. We talked about how God, this first relationship is a marriage relationship and he's, he's there and he unites them and it says that they're naked and there isn't any shame there. Yeah, yeah. It's like a beautiful thing, right. but I, I had to share with them that this isn't the world that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. We find ourselves in a broken world and we find within ourselves broken desires that aim all, all over the place. Yeah. I, you know? I, I like that you both spoke of kind of like positive formation. I mean, really like helping your kids in a God-honoring, positive way understand, you know, what are your sexual organs or what is sex or what is God's design or what, you know. And so, I mean, I've talked about this on Think Through It before, like what I call like critical Christian theory, right, where we can only deconstruct, where we can only critique Mm -hmm. You know, and I think a lot of Christians are there. We can only say why the culture is bad, why the sexual ethics of the day are bad, but we we have no ability to reconstruct a positive Christian view of yeah. sex, sexuality, yeah. gender, um, you know, the human image, all of these kinds of things, which are actually like really poor, important and good categories that have been perverted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think understanding it first positively, then you can understand like, what is a perversion of this or what is a, mm-hmm. you know, what is the opposite of that, of what God's good design is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that you talked about those things, you know, in a sense, positively before you talk about them negatively um, or talk about the perversions of them that we see uh, in our culture. Because, yeah, I mean, I think the the Christianity I grew up with, um, you know, I think, I think my dad did a good job, but a lot of the, like the purity culture of the day was, um, it was more like, you know, uh, like I remember I, did you do true love weights? You were too, you became a Christian too late. Yeah. Too late, yeah. But like, you know, if I you, heard about this. if you would have been like a Christian in 95 mm-hmm. or six, you know, there's this big thing, true love weights and 
I went to it. I remember it was a church and I remember like, ironically, like the whole time I was like trying to see if Lorne Zell would like, like me, like be my girlfriend or whatever. But like, you know, we're at this thing and, um, but I remember them saying like the reasons that you shouldn't have sex are, you know, STDs was one okay. or yeah, out of, I could, I could feel that one coming unwed pregnancy <laughs> out of yeah. wedlock <laughs> pregnancies. And they would give us all these statistics about how easy it is to spread yes. these things. No. Or the other one then was because you like, you know, it was like the pearl in the drawer. Have y'all ever heard that analogy? Mm-hmm. Like it was just, I've heard it a hundred times. Or the flower that you pass around. Yeah. It's like yeah. who wants uh, the, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Take, yeah. It was yeah. like, because you want to give your husband or wife the pure <laughs> pearl or yeah. whatever. It, the, the problem is none of it was about because you want to have fellowship with God mm-hmm. and you want nothing to break your fellowship with God. God and any sin, any perversion of God's is saying breaks your fellowship with God. So I'm going to, I'm going to pursue purity, not namely for my future wife or not namely for like, so I don't get an STD, you know, even though like those things are, I mean, yep. those things those are, are real factors. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. consequences and stuff, but, but namely, you know, it's like, well, okay, I know this girl doesn't have an STD We're you know, I know she's on birth control. I mean, and so everything yeah. you just told me at True Love Weights, I, I found fix. an yeah. end around for. Right. And so what is going to keep me, you know, pure and holy then? Well, it's because I love God. Right. And, 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 and the danger of pornography is not that it might lead to marital infidelity, even though it might. And, and oftentimes does. It's not that it's this creates this addictive behavior that messes up your brain for the rest of your life, even though it does. The, the ultimate danger of pornography is hell. I mean, it's it's that you're introducing something that will break the fellowship that you were designed to have with the living God. Mm-hmm. And there's consequences for that. And there's right. like eternal consequences for that. Yeah. And so like, good. that is why we, we, ha- we, we, we can't miss on this one. Like yeah. we, we have to get this one right. And it's so ubiquitous. It's so widespread. It's so dangerous. And it, and I can say this, so, it's so damning <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. It creates yeah. this culture that, you know, leads people to find satisfaction in something that is not God. Mm-hmm. And that is ultimately what kills us. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I just I I think the pendulum has swung from, you know, what you're saying, the purity culture to, well, this is just what men do or what women do. Yeah. It's just embraced and that God overlooks this, you know, this type of pattern right. and this type of habit. And um just, you know, speaking to what you're bringing up in, in Galatians five, it talks about if you continue to do sex practice sexual immorality and you continue to do things and that's the pattern of your life it says that you shouldn't have any hope or confidence that you will inherit the kingdom of god and so it's a very sobering reality totally yeah and so i, I think it's we sh- god doesn't overlook this i mean i was thinking we were talking about hebrews 10 i mean anyone who relaxes on these things you know um or like to us as christian ministers, like those who shrink back. I mean, that's, I've been thinking a lot about that idea. Like we can't shrink back from anything that is in the word of the Lord. And and, and, and in line with that, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that the church doesn't talk about purity as much, I mean, I think, yes, some of it is a little bit of like, we're like, like we kind of didn't talk about that that well, you know, 25 years ago. So I do think some of it is that I think some of it is like homosexuality has become so taboo 
to talk about and yeah. it's like people are afraid to talk about or whatever or gender dysphoria or whatever it is yeah. but the way i always think about it is like if if like and it's this is gonna be hard for y'all listening to the podcast but like concentric circles like if this is god's design for sex okay then and between a husband and wife and in a monogamous lifelong lifelong marriage relationship if that's what god's design is and, mm -hmm. and in that there's no shame it's beautiful it's whole it's not you know it's it's good it's god on it it feels like worshipful right mm -hmm. if that's god's design for sex then there's there's forms of perversion that are like more or less like that it's a gradation right mm -hmm. yeah and right. so like an engaged couple that you know has sex before they get married is a perversion they've yet to enter the covenant mm -hmm. they've yet to uh you know really bind themselves under god and in the church before and witnesses by, yeah. right before witnesses right it's a perversion of that it's wrong it's sinful but it's it's like less of a perversion than like someone going out and having like serial sex with different women every mm -hmm, weekend or mm -hmm. men every weekend, right? And so, so there's like different gradations of like what the perversion of God's design is. And so wherever like homosexuality is on that ring of perversions, but it's like if you won't talk about this, you know, ring of perversion, then you're not going to talk about any of the ones inside of that either. Right. right. It's like it mutes all of it, that it mutes all of it. Right. And so it's like, if you're, if you're not willing to hold up God's design yeah. and say any perversion of this is actually like, you know, bad and displeasing to God. And, and, and to your point, like, a continuation in that without any conviction or any repentance can actually lead to um, separation. I mean, it lead to eternal consequences, the judgment of God, you know, then it's going to be very hard to talk about, you know, mm. talking to your sixth grader about mm, sexual yeah. purity and pornography. Yeah, right. right. And right. so, yeah, it kind of, it comes around to the sufficiency of scripture when it mm -hmm. comes to our, our salvation and belief and practice the way we should live our lives, right? you know? And, and so I, I think the, the Bible, God's divine revelation communicates this grand picture, this great narrative that really is what his design is. Right. And um, so, you know, I, I think in any way that there's a perversion, you know, we, we shouldn't be ashamed of shining the light on it. Um, and I, I think that if we're practicing certain things, then we will shrink back. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. to your point, you know, anyone out there who's listening, who's struggling, um, you, you won't win the battle alone. Right. You know, that's right. And, and that's really where uh, in some ways the devil wins in the dark. Mm -hmm. You know, you you need to link arms with other people who have failed and who are not perfect and who have experienced victory and who are growing yeah. in that. And, and the, right. the great news for all of us is, you know, as I've heard Albert Moeller say, like anyone north of puberty is sexually perverse in some way. <laughs> and so we're not saved by our sexual purity. Right. We're right. saved by the sexual purity and total purity of Jesus yeah. that is ours, is imputed to us mm -hmm. through faith. And our sexual perversion and sexual sin is imputed to him on the cross. And he willingly suffered and died. So no matter where you are in this conversation from, you know, porn addiction to struggling with, you know, heterosexual or homosexual sex outside of marriage or, or whatever it is, or struggling like with sexual issues within marriage. I mean, there's a lot of like layers to this conversation, right. wherever you are in this, like, you know, the hope is in 
Christ and following him, there is grace at the cross, and um, there's hope for redemption and renewal in Jesus um, and in his word. I mean, I think this is what you're saying, the mm-hmm. sufficiency of what when we say the sufficiency of Scripture, what are we saying? We're just saying the sufficiency of what Jesus has instructed us, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be careful of that, right? Because some people are like, well, the Bible is just, no, no. The Bible, what we believe about the Word of God as it inspired is that it's actually the Word of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I say, you know. Right. When we, when we sit, read the Scripture, I'll say, hear the Word of Christ. Be, even if we're reading out of like Romans or Deuteronomy or whatever, because like it's it's the it's it's the spirit sent you know it's the christ sending the spirit to speak to his church and teach his church and instruct his church about his character what it means to follow him mm. yeah i didn't mean to give a lesson on the bible <laughs> here but important. any it's more good. thoughts jennifer mm, well I this think has been just, a really helpful conversation. it has been really helpful and i think just again to reiterate like for parents it does um you know to be fearless and faithful and that you do have um that Christ is with you and helping you in this. Like you are equipped to do this. We are here to help you. There are a lot of resources, but if you um, discover, because I know it can be very shameful for a parent, if you discover that your child is viewing porn or has seen it and you didn't know it, like all these things that we've talked about, you haven't done. Um, But again, there's such hope in Christ for you. There's such forgiveness and you can be made clean. Your child can be made clean. Um, There's just a lot of beauty available on the other end because of, because of Christ. Yeah. I know that this feels like a nice wrap up spot, but I do think I want to reiterate that Jennifer, like if you discover your child looking at these things again, your goal as a parent is not that your child will be perfectly sexually pure at the end of like with the day they get married, even though we of course want that, you know, the bigger goal is that they would treasure and love Jesus. And so like, don't react in such a way to their sexual impurity that would lead them to not love the only one that can really purify their heart. Like the, the mm. goal here is that we keep pointing ourselves or, our children, one another to the fellowship that we can have with God that is ultimately satisfying only through Jesus. That is our hope. And that's, that's where I want to camp out. So, well, thanks for joining us for Zach Smith, Jennifer McClish. I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it. Thanks for listening to think through it. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com.